Hey, it's Bao, and this is Coffee with Bao, where I chat with awesome people about their creative process, their cultural identity, and how they continue to grow as a human being. You can find all of my past guests or get in touch with me at coffeewithbao.com. And today, I'm hanging out with a fellow creative communicator. He's a photographer, a podcaster, a YouTuber. He left a career as an engineer to pursue his lifelong passion of photography and teaching others his approach to photography. As a travel and adventure photographer, he's worked with brands like Google Pixel, Sony, W Hotels, lots of tourism boards and NGOs. His YouTube channels collectively have over 400,000 subscribers, and he has a successful online course called 30 Days to Great Photos, which has helped over 1,500 students. Here's my friend and the man with the best job in the world, Pierre T. Lambert. Ah! <laughs> Good morning, Bao. Hope you're having a great day. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so stoked that you're here. And I must say from a branding professional's perspective, good morning is so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's actually exactly how it started. I was like, I need something that I can repeat in every video, you know, something catchy. And at first it was something really long, like good morning, like no matter where you are in this world or some, something long like that, like, um, and then I was like, you know what, I'm just going to strip it down. And The Good Morning reminds me also of, uh, I think it's a movie, Full Metal Jacket, where there's a radio host with Vietnam War who is like, good morning, Good morning, Vietnam. Vietnam. Yep. Wow. So I just I just blended everything and tried to find my own voice. Yeah, and I, I appreciate that it's a deliberate effort from you to find your own voice and to find your own personality, which is something that I'm doing now with Coffee with Bao and all of my other stuff. So, um, so uh, you're in Chicago right now. Is Chicago thawing out finally, or are you still freezing cold? Yeah, everything melted, and I actually went to swim yesterday for the first time this year. Well, the water was like 39 Fahrenheit, so it was not <laughs> great, but outside was warm. It was almost 70. <laughs> That's crazy. Dude, you are my first French guest. <laughs> Ooh. were you born in france and like grew up there like your whole life yeah i was born uh, in france but then I, I spent like 10 years in germany growing up mm. uh, from my youngest childhood until like uh, beginning of teenagehood and then i moved back to france where i continued like school and 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 then studies and stuff like that i see um how much do you know about your your family history like how far back do you guys go? Um, I think I'm the descendant of Cleopatra. Uh, no, <laughs> I think we all are. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Um, no, it's probably Alexander the Great is a good bet, like considering how many countries he, he like went over. Um, no, I, I don't know. Probably great, great grandfather. I would know um, in my head. Mm. And then after, I think my family has documentations about all that. Yeah. has Was that something like you became curious about, just learning your lineage and stuff? Not really, to be honest. It's not that I, I don't care. It's more like I focus more on the closest ones, you know, mm. like grandfather and then maybe his father or his grandfather and learning that. And I was also curious about the war times, uh, like 
who was doing what at that time. Yeah. What do you think is like one of the most notable things about your family? Um, I'm not sure one of the most, but like <laughs> if I think about it, my great grandfather, so my grandfather's dad was in prison during the Second World War for probably, I think, three years or something like that. And he actually lost his legs uh, because of that. Wow. I think it was too cold or something like that. I can't remember the exact details, but yeah, he was really injured after. Wow. And since they were working on a farm, that was actually a big problem because then the grandmother had to pick up everything. Yeah. Wow. So you spent part of your childhood in Germany. That's new info. <laughs> I tried to research as best <laughs> as I could. <laughs> the Wikipedia is not complete. No, it's okay. <laughs> uh, were you like an artistic kid or um, how did you find photography eventually? Um, I was curious kid, I will say. I think I w I've always been curious. Uh, I always love to try stuff. Photography, I remember my youngest like memories of photography would be when I was like maybe six seven, eight, something like that. It was like, they would take us to, um, they took us as kids to a lab where you would do those black and white photos just by showing mm. if you put objects on top of paper, a photo paper, and then expose the paper, then you had like white circles or black circles, depending how you process it on those objects. And that's yeah. my literally earliest memory of like, oh, that's interesting. And then I had a, a very old, like, I always had like a few um, throwable, disposable cameras. And uh, my grandfather gave me a, a small film camera a little later on. That's nice. Did you do any other like creative stuff as a kid? I don't know. I think uh, music did not work out too well for me. <laughs> I always wanted to do like drums and guitar, but somehow we had a piano at home and they tried to have me learn piano but I, I just found the way i think that's the problem with a lot of education or like a lot of things is like kids can be fascinated by it but if you present it the wrong way if you teach them the wrong way oh, it's, yeah. it's the most boring thing ever if you have a kid that's like energetic and wants to do things you know don't put him on some like boring piano thing like show him what's cool about piano you know and get him excited about it not like oh you're gonna learn all the uh every chord that exists like every yeah. notes everything and then you are gonna have to write it on paper i was like oh that's uh, that's not it <laughs> i find it really it. interesting because that's exactly your approach to teaching photography you avoid yeah. all the technical academic stuff and just like discover your where people's passions are right and then like just hammer that and um that's yeah because those technical things i feel like should come later you know it the technical thing is not gonna get you to take good photos good photos it's yeah. not gonna take you to become a great musician you know you first get excited maybe you're gonna play it by ear maybe you're gonna learn yeah. train your ear without structure you know just being surrounded let's say if you have a musician fami musical family uh or family into music but after a while i I feel like it just goes through and that's when you start asking yourself questions. Hey, I couldn't do that thing that he was doing, you know, yeah. how come? And then that's when you dive into technique to solve a problem that you don't just learn theory for theory. Like what, what's the point, you know? 
genius. I love that. That's exactly where I come from too. Just you feel it first and then you execute it with your technical skills. I read that you went to school in Germany as well as France. Like you did your master's in France and like undergrad in Germany. Yeah, I was in France and did engineering school, which is university. And mm. then I had six months to a year, I think it was like 69 months, where it was a semester or two, can't remember, that were actually back in Germany. So um, I picked up Germany because they told me that my English wasn't good enough to go to England. No way. Like, are you joking? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. It's like the university was like, you know what, we don't really want to suggest your profile. We don't think it's going to work like the English level, depending on your grade, it's not that great. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I'm like, it's not about the grades, it's about understanding. When I started asking you about this, I had a dumb grin on my face because I was embarrassed. I'm too embarrassed to try to pronounce the schools that you went to. <laughs> oh. Um, University of Kassel. Yeah, and there is a Les Arts et Métiers and yeah, the French one. Um, and you studied mechanical and industrial engineering, which brought you to what you thought was going to be a career in fossil fuels or like drilling oil and stuff. Yeah, I've always been interested in a few things like biology, mm. uh, the ocean environment. Energy has always been fascinating to me, like all those like fields. Uh, but most importantly, I love traveling. And there is only so many like industry that will get you to travel. Yeah. And so that's how I landed in the world of oil and gas, uh, because they were happy to fly me anywhere, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. anywhere, not anywhere they I wanted, anywhere they wanted. Um, so... I got to, to work in Nigeria, I got to work, uh, to travel to Brazil, work in the UK and, and in Bahrain. And those places mm. were cool, um, but obviously it didn't really resonate that much with my environmental uh, beliefs. Although, yeah. like I used to say, if you want to change something, if you want to change an industry or change a movement, you got to be inside the movement. Mm. You gotta be inside it. You can't change it from the outside in unless you're a policy maker, you know. You know? Uh, so if you're in the industry, that's when you can make sure things are being done with better practices than, you know, yeah. uh, random stuff. So that that's was kind of my my thoughts around it. And But most importantly, I think it was also, I was more in like the supply chain and the company I was working was link pipelines and electrical cables underwater and that could be for any kind of structure that was underwater it could be oil and gas but sometimes it, it could also be like renewable like mm. energies it, it didn't really matter we're not like drilling etc but yeah we we're in those were our biggest clients because they need electricity and they need to get their gas and oil as out of the ocean yeah wow that's such a foreign world to me because I've been in the creative world all my life like ever since childhood yeah all of the schools I went to were creative related <laughs> um <clears throat> that's uh, well ne ne next time next time if you want to have fun next time you go fill up your gas for your car just try to imagine from that drop of gas you have how many people actually worked yeah you know, the, for you to get it and if you think about it it's kind of crazy if you 
pull back, you have the refinery. You had the transport from refinery to your gas station. You had transport from refinery to a crude oil spot, uh, wherever that might be. You had someone who put it on a boat and, and went across the world with the boat. And then, I mean, someone, it's several people. And then you had the of whole, people, yeah, the whole design and engineering that went into uh, drilling, extracting and, and sorting. And yeah, so it's pretty intense, to be Super. honest. Super, <laughs> yeah. Do you have any interesting stories from that part of your life? Yeah, I think the, the most striking was like, I was 21 or 22. <laughs> and that was my first time going to Nigeria. They sent me for my summer last internship, if you want, to Nigeria. And I landed in a spot where it's kind of like a slum, like a giant slum in a way. Mm. Very big. And that's where you have all, most of the operations in oil and gas because that's in the Niger Delta, just on the ocean, uh, where the river like gets in the ocean. And that's where every time you have news about people trying to hijack pipelines or boats or whatever, oh. that's usually where it happens. When you have kidnappings, that's where it most likely happens. And so I was literally taken from my, you know, Western world, like, everything is cool you know like to <laughs> oh this is this now this is real poverty now this is a real contrast between poverty and billion dollar people because the government also like maybe would reroute 0.5% of the money to the population mm. and the rest would just disappear in different pockets Meaning those people, although they worked and the country had so much resource, they had nothing. And Nigeria used to be like the be the biggest producer of, uh, how do you call that, of vegetables and like grains and all that because it's so, so everything grows there. It's amazing. And because of oil and gas, it's, they stopped that. They completely wow. stopped that. The government was like, oh, stop doing that or whatever. So the population has to import food from out, outside uh, which puts you in a place where you're like, that makes zero sense. You know, you have yeah. amazing resources inland and basically you're just like taking all the profit from the oil and gas, reinvesting nothing in your country. And um, and you, you, you could feel it on the ground. So I was confronted between um, extreme poverty, prostitutions, expats, tip, dipping their toes in corruption, prostitution, all that. And I was like, Am I in a movie? Is this World of War? You know, like Lord of Wars or <laughs> oil and gas version? And I was like, wow, okay, this this was really eye-opening. And I was like, okay, the world is not as pink as you might think it is. You know, it has a lot more nuances. Yeah. Wow, that's such a good story. And I think so many of us don't get to exit our bubble. Yeah. And yeah, you know, that's like... Well, and, and here's the crazy thing. I was in a bubble over there also because as a as an expat over there, the company also puts a lot of resources towards keeping you safe mm. uh, from whatever, you know, like yeah. local kidnappings and stuff like that. So we would be... I would be like, imagine you're 21-year-old, you're in a 4x4 truck with you, a driver. I've never had to drive in my life. I had a driver... And next to the driver, there is a Mopol, which is a what they call mobile police guy uh -huh. with an AK-47. So you have a guy with an AK-47 in your car that's supposed to protect you. And you have another car in front of you 
with this with sirens and like three other guards with AK-47s and they're literally trying to push people off the road to let to have you go through wow. in the middle of 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 the city of of and it's like you just want to hide you're like how can, can local people not hate us yeah you know like you're that yeah you just represent the the worst of the the white person who comes here if you want or the the like colonizer or whatever you want and i'm like it's it's done in such a distasteful way that it's it's just yeah it, it was just yeah terrible yeah so there's like a a very short version of your the story of you realizing that you were not doing the thing you wanted to do with your life <laughs> and i want to yeah. talk about that like i want to talk more about that later on um yeah. i'm just curious that uh, after working there and and kind of figuring out that like you want to try to do something else um what's the story about realizing you wanted to go to the United States because now you're like hmm. an American. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that's kind of funny. It's it's basically seen from Europe, the US is like that holy grail for entrepreneurship in a way, you mm. know? It's like everyone's like happy if you start a business, no one cares where you come from, what your education is, as long as you do a good job or that you're hustling, you can make something happen, you know? Mm. And society does it feels like society does not look down upon you if you do succeed, you know, which is something that I would say in France, at least in my culture, is kind of present. You know, no one shares how much they make. It's very secretive. If you make too much money, you want to hide the fact that you make money because people either get jealous or judge you just because you're making mm. more money. You start suddenly you can't understand other people or i don't know it's it's kind of weird uh, in that sense and it's uh, very cultural you know it's like at least in france maybe french people will disagree but that's how I, it was perceived for me mm -hmm. at least and when i decided to do something else and i started looking a lot into i was into the startup scene and i would look uh, understand entrepreneurs and and like listen to interviews and see the companies well, a lot of things back in the days were happening like in the Silicon Valley and was happening in that area. And also a lot of the big names that we know in Western society are from the West Coast, I would say, or or at least in the US, you know, New York being a hotspot too. Mm. And I was just excited. I was like, oh, that would be cool to go there and just live there a little bit, see how it is, you know, what's the mentality over there. The, the image I had was like, you have that Hollywood image you know, of the U.S. where uh, it's, yeah, it's, I don't know, die hard every day. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then you have uh, uh, 20 million Zuckerbergs uh, hanging out in the streets in San Francisco. <laughs> and uh, and New York is like that fashion city, very dynamic. Mm. So, But my first experience with the U.S. was Houston, which was a million more mile away from anything <laughs> yeah. that I had expected. <laughs> I first came for work uh, through my previous job to Houston and I was mm. like, oh, well, that's not what I expected. But then after I actually got married to my wife, current wife, who is uh, she's American. And we decided at some point after living in Paris for a while, let's go. Let's go check it out in the U.S. You know, let's go back. She's she's hadn't lived there in 10 years. Yeah. We're like, let's let's go. And she ended up having a job opportunity in New York. But we, we ended up in New York City, which is a really awesome city. Uh, do you feel like you're American these days? 
No, I feel like I'm still like <laughs> lost in the middle of the Atlantic. <laughs> yeah, I'm neither, I feel like I'm neither French nor American. Wow, that's interesting. Well, you you kind of don't spend that much time in in one place anymore. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so after several years of hustling, trying to like start your own businesses, doing the photography and the YouTube thing, you've kind of landed on your dream job, I assume, which is creating content, shooting images, and sharing that knowledge with everybody. And I don't know if this is true, but in, in my perspective, the center of your world is around that YouTube channel you, where you broadcast mm -hmm. your message and your knowledge. Can you give folks like the, the one minute elevator pitch about what your channel is about? Yeah. If my YouTube channel is basically about sharing the adventures as a photographer. Like, what does it mean? What do you shoot? How do you shoot? Where do you go? What do the adventures go like? Because they don't always go as planned. And also just uh, trying to get a little deeper into like creative sides where either I share tips or I just share creative ideas where I'm like, hey, I want to try this. You know, like with COVID, there were times I was super bored. I'm like, Guys, I'm super bored. Let's try something different. And then and then I would make a video <laughs> around that. That's so cool. You're approaching 400K subscribers. Super impressive. Before this interview, I went and uh, <laughs> took a video of your Instagram feed because I feel like that's where a lot of your cool images are posted. So I want to show people mm -hmm. that and tell them a little bit about um, all the various stuff that you do. So... Here's Pierre's Instagram feed. It's beautiful. <laughs> like I said earlier, Pierre's, uh, Pierre T. Lambert's YouTube channel has around 400,000 subscribers. He just gives away an insane amount of knowledge and inspiration, as well as like technical resources to his subscribers and everyone who pays attention. Um, mainly it's about travel, adventure photography, street photography. I think Pierre has a talent for kind of, like I said earlier, cutting through all the academic nonsense and just telling people how to like see and visualize better, how to capture in the moment easier and how to edit the images so that the focus is on what you're trying to convey and get rid getting rid of distractions basically. And I especially love that his, even in his tutorial videos, they're beautifully composed and the color is always impeccable, <laughs> which I can't say for my own YouTube videos. <laughs> he also teaches a course called 30 Days to Great Photos that's changed so many people's lives and actually gotten people professional work. You can find Pierre T. Lambert at his website, pierretlambert.com. <laughs> Let's take a little break. You want to see our beautiful mugs while we chat? Coffee with Bao is also available in video. Just search for it on YouTube and hit the subscribe button. Let's get back to the show. Pierre, <laughs> um, your videos are beautiful, man. And like, they're just so well done. I, I, it boggles my mind how you can like, just consistently put that level of quality out all the time. It's just really great stuff. Thanks, Bao. Um, yeah, I don't know how I do it sometimes. Um, <laughs> not saying that it's, it's that level of quality. It's probably that I don't feel like it's a level of quality that you, you, <laughs> so I'm, I'm always pushing myself. I'm like, oh no, actually it's not that great. You know, like 
you i mean you know how it is as mm. any creative it's usually like we find our work a little bit less good than what maybe other people might perceive it to be so yeah which is what pushes us forward i think yeah i get i get what you're saying and it's kind of like just always trying to expand your horizons a little bit mm-hmm. um i really love also that you built your entire brand and your your current career around sharing your knowledge with others that's like super admirable in my view but before that you were like on a ship or something trying to like engineer <laughs> pipes and stuff for oil <laughs> how did you realize like all right i gotta get out of here i gotta go do something else i love well that's funny yeah i was definitely on a ship and uh <laughs> it was offshore of angola which is a country in africa probably between i would say halfway in africa just the south of the equator and um i was on that boat and it was very boring like i was getting really <laughs> bored like i'm being honest here like we had operations going on there wasn't much activity because they had to hold some stuff up we're waiting for parts i mm. can't even remember what but all I could think was like, this is like being in an office, but you're stuck. You can't go home in, in the evening. Wow. I wasn't even doing manual work or any like cool stuff. So I actually kind of envied the people who actually had manual work because I'm like, wow. this is so much more exciting than filling spreadsheets or like doing that thing or trying to help organize. Helping organize is fine, but when there is nothing happening, like it just gets boring. Um, and I didn't like that feeling of being trapped in a way where boats not moving you're not seeing any kind of country you're not moving anywhere and i can't go home and i think my grandfather passed either at that time or when i was still in nigeria uh. and i was like well i'm not even going back necessarily you know even if i decided oh i want to go home tomorrow i can't you know mm -hmm. i have to wait for the boat to come pick us up another boat or a helicopter or whatever i'd never got the helicopter which sucks uh <laughs> i was really hoping for the helicopter rides um but yeah and and then i i landed in my inbox and there was a, a like university newsletter and stuff and they were like i think the title was like is the four-hour work week possible and at that time i was working like 12 hours shifts yeah uh, and seven days a week i was yeah. like oh what's that you know for our work week that sounds interesting <laughs> it was a basically title. a conference yeah <laughs> it was a conference discussing the book uh in a engineering university and i was like oh let's that sounds fun uh let's just try to pick up the book so i found a, a probably illegal pdf version back mm. then because also you can't get books right when you're on the boat right at the time there was no audiobook there was no like ebooks the same way you have them now so someone like had put a pdf online i downloaded the pdf and was able to read it uh straight Wait, on just the to and just to be uh just to back up a little bit for people listening this is the four hour work week by tim ferris correct and yeah i assume you were like in your mid 20s then yeah i think i was 26 going 27 and um because i had been working for almost five years four to five years by then and I was like, wow, this is fascinating and a lot of things. <laughs> and that's where like books are so interesting because the people you hang out, you know, it's it's the people you hang out. You might have known them for a while. And it's very unlikely that someone with completely new ideas is going to drop in the middle of mm. your group, you know. Yeah. But with a book, you can do that. You can suddenly read about a completely different point of view, different topic. And I was like, this is 
really interesting. It's a lot of things I've been thinking that wasn't necessarily expressed verbally. And I was like, that just resonated with me. And I was like, all right, let's uh, give this a brain exercise. Let's just give this a try. Let's see not how I can work four hours a week. That doesn't, that's not the problem. How can I create more freedom in my own life and also not, I would say, rely on a job I don't like to provide that income? Yeah, that's a struggle so many people have, right? So you end up leaving that job? Like, what was that transition like? Like the first year transition? It's a long transition because uh, at that time, then I, I jolted a few ideas what, what I could do because obviously I didn't even know what entrepreneurship meant. Ah. <laughs> like, I was like, what, what's having a business? You know, it, it's almost like I had that vision of only big businesses, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway, I wrote down a bunch of ideas and started like brainstorming. I pursued even one which was like creating aquarium filters, like high-end aquarium filters. Um, Whoa. And then drop, <laughs> drop, yeah, drop that one in the phase where I was supposed to do a um, uh, test product, meaning I had uh, I had the drawings, I had everything, um, but I, I just abandoned. I was like, oh, the market doesn't seem that big mm. for, for, the, for the product. And um, so two things that were written were like Airbnb for photographers and becoming a photographer also. Um, and I was like, okay, this is, this is interesting. Let's, let's dive a little bit into that part. And, um, I then stumbled, I think upon a course or like life course where people were talking about making money as a professional photographers and portrait session and all that. And I'm like, Okay, maybe before I travel the world or like become a national geographic photographer, <laughs> uh, maybe I can actually start like shooting portraits and sessions and maybe weddings. It seems like there is some money that could actually get me a foot into that world. And um, and at the same time, I was like, well, the problem is like back then in 2014, it was difficult to find a photographer. You had to send emails to everyone independently, you know. There was no system like Airbnb or Booking.com where you are like, okay, show me who is in Paris, show me how much it is, I'm gonna book a session. Yeah, it was really like let's send an email to every single one of them, and I decided to uh, to pursue both at the same time. I was like, you know what, I might as well just do both. And to be honest, that whole period lasted about before I quit about a year because I had to get into the idea. Uh, Sean that I had met a little bit after I started that process was the first entrepreneur, like kind of friend that I made, made wow. in that world. And I was like, wow, he has his own business and makes a living like that. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, this guy's a superstar. <laughs> uh, By the and, way, this is and, Sean Lee who appears in a previous episode of Coffee with Bao and he's one of my best friends. Exactly. And... So Sean was like, I was like, and he gave me a tip back then. He's like, if you start something, do never quit your job and just go pursue it mm. uh, without any financial backup because that will tint your decisions that you will make. You're not going to think long term and you're not going to think about making a good business. You're going to think about trying to turn out as much profit as possible because you will feel stuck and you will feel like you have to provide for yourself. Wow. So it's like, cool. And my job was like slowing down. There was a 2015 uh, oil and gas crisis. So I literally had no projects for a while. And I would just like learn everything about everything on the side or at, or at work actually. 
working on you know another tab and <laughs> uh, in, in the office and yeah that's how I, I really got started and and what happened is that actually the 2015 crisis hit our company pretty hard and then they had to let go a third of the employees and for that to happen in France you need to go through unions everyone have to mm. agree how much people are going to get if they are fired how long they're going to get support for and uh, etc and that so i went to see my boss one day and i'm like hey i'm quitting and he was um he was like well you might want to wait until tomorrow because or this afternoon because they're announcing that they're firing people which means you could go with a with a check you know with a severance package and i was like great and i thought <laughs> i would be out the months one or two months after but that whole process from the moment they announced until they actually let go people took six months so this is how slow the french system is about like firing and hiring i see you started a business called kaima which was like you yep. say a booking.com for finding and hiring photographers and you did some other stuff but like when did you realize like youtube would be the center of your professional universe Ooh, not until way later uh oh, probably 2017 or 18 like a year into youtube i would say huh. uh, the reason is that i started youtube as an experiment just to get more creative i had moved from the creation part of kaima which is a uh, where i coded the whole website i built everything from scratch which was really fun and uh I moved from that to going into marketing and sales and that got really like kind of boring and I prefer mm. to create to be honest whether it's coding or whether it's like artistically speaking and I was like okay I heard about vlogs some people are even making money with that I was like <laughs> what <laughs> uh, and it was 2016 the height of K Casey Neistat and I was like okay let's let's just do an experiment I'm gonna vlog for 30 days about obviously nothing it's the most boring videos um it's really not that interesting the videos look like crap but that process taught me a lot I did it every day for 30 days and then continued for six months I don't know why I was just felt like I had to uh. and or that I wanted more likely although I had no subscribers or barely Mm. And I had no views, uh, but I kept doing it. And after six months, I was like, oh, oh, oh hold on. Uh, it's a good distraction from not actually pushing <laughs> the marketing side of your other business. But if you want to do this, you got to start strategizing and doing it right. Wow. And that's when I was like, okay, either I drop it or I take things seriously. And that's when I started pivoting, pivoting more into information and travel the channel. And after a while, I started making friends in that universe. Mm. And I realized that more and more, we're actually starting to turn, a, we were able to, to provide something out of it, make some money, mm. which was more than my other business. Although I had like a bunch of bookings that went through, the commissions were really low. And this was basically cash, not cash, cash, but it was like a lot more profitable than the other one the return on investment was much higher. So I'm like, oh, there is a mm. better opportunity here maybe. And I don't have to find the perfect co-founder, which I never found on the other business, <laughs> <You're> you know, <right. laughs> which is the reason that I never went really far with that business because I, could, I couldn't find someone to, do, to help with the other side of the business, the marketing, the sales, getting out their communication. Yeah. I didn't find that one person that had a vision or could help with me, help me out. And so... 
I decided, okay, let's let's be smart and, and the YouTube channel started doing a little better. And then with my wife in 2017, we're like, you know what? Screw New York, we're paying too much in rent. We're gonna go around the world for a year for way cheaper than our rent for a year. <laughs> That's crazy. So right? <laughs> Yeah. And my wife was like, okay, let's do it now because she read a book where that lady had to basically she waited until her first husband died at 70 to actually start doing those kind of things. And she was wow. like, you know what? Maybe I should do it with Pierre while we're staying young before he dies and I have to find another husband. <laughs> <laughs> because she was like, I was never into that. I wasn't interested. But then when you put it that way, <laughs> it's like, all right, let's do it. That's great. Um, so we went around, the, we, we did like a lot of countries and uh, the YouTube channel was doing better. Mm -hmm. uh, but in the trenches, I was like, okay, I think I need something a little bit more targeted if I want to really make it work because the channel with my wife I felt like she wasn't really as much into it as I was mm. so I'm like I'm gonna start my own channel it's gonna be around photography I really miss sharing the photography stuff and the adventures and that's when I started the photography channel and and right off the bat I was like okay this is gonna work way, way better in the future for business-wise too wow I think a lot of us creative folks as and and entrepreneurial folks we just plant a million seeds and then we see which mm -hmm. one of them grows the strongest and, and you know better than me <laughs> well i, I think You've i had, had different businesses too and wildly different too and i think yeah. i had the same experience with juicykits.com where mm -hmm. i didn't have the right partners i wasn't interested in doing business development or operations or anything like that. I just wanted to build a brand. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, so we pivot and we, we, we go towards something that works better. What do you think like some of the, the skills that you learned or the decisions that you made were like the keys to making this YouTube channel work? I think the, the one thing I learned the most from the first travel channel is that anything that helps people will get them through the door the first wow. time. And then it's up to you to kind of, you know, it's like they got in your shop now, make it, make them feel at home, make them feel like they want to come back or that mm. there is a place that they can actually enjoy adventures. And I feel like that combination of like providing information with entertainment, but not just entertainment for entertainment, but more like, Hey, I'm, I'm sharing stuff I'm doing and I think you could do too, you know, you can definitely pick up your camera and do it. And I feel like the more you share that process, the better. I remember Gary Vee saying, uh, document don't create, you know, for a very long time. Yes. And so I tried that approach where like I would create, but document at the same time, you know, like really trying to document my photography adventures and that meant sometimes coming up with concepts or at the beginning just sharing mainly tips you know yeah but slowly you would like, get a little bit of personality out there and people would get to know you a little bit more i think maybe that's interesting welcome back you know were you constantly monitoring monitoring what was working with audiences and what wasn't i try to but <laughs> sometimes it's wild bets you know yeah it's like i always try stuff and see what sticks you know yeah, I think that's the biggest lesson I learned in, in the startup world was like literally try, 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 fail as hard as you can and try again, you know, iterate, yeah. the, that iterate process. That's really interesting. Um, 
this is totally optional, but uh, what are the various sources of revenue right now from your current business and YouTube and yeah. teaching and? Uh, how would I break it down? So if you look at it from the YouTube top down, uh, so you have YouTube ads that will give you some revenue. It's not the majority of it, to be honest. Mm. Uh, then you have sponsorships. Like if people want to sponsor an episode, reach your audience. So that's another one. Um, then your own product. So my presets or my course, which is the most important one for me. And that's what I've always wanted to, because I don't want to be relying either on an algorithm Mm -hmm. or relying on sponsors that's pretty important for me so we have the products we have the sponsorships we have youtube ads and then there is like some affiliation like you know with link in description if people buy on amazon or if there is other specific products like music anything that's another source of revenue and then there is like also shoots for clients where oh. they will either license images or videos um so some of those also come in yeah. It seems right now where you are getting the most fulfillment is your 30 days to great photos course where you're actually like looking at people's photos and giving them feedback and like interacting with people who were formerly just like unknown audience members. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like it's a great way to bridge the gap between, uh, you know, anonymous viewers and people with their own stories. Yeah. And I had like some really interesting stories where like some people like took the course and then they started shooting more and, and they got into professional awards. Some mm. got a, a prize, you know, their first prize. Some are like super excited. They get reposted for the first time, you know. Uh, some are like shooting GP motor races now. And <laughs> awesome. it's, it's not so much their achievement. I mean, they inspire me just as much, you know, um, it's a lot of work to go and give a lot of feedbacks to give feedbacks to everyone constantly. It's definitely a little draining. I will admit that. Uh, but it's also very fulfilling once you go beyond those 30 days mm. and you see, and you'll receive emails from people a year later or six months later that I, like, Hey, I took that course and now I'm shooting for this. Like someone's literally shooting for Porsche this week or next week. That's so you know? cool. And he had a, he picked up a job in, as a photographer in the studio also. I mean, I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. I love it. I love that. That's super cool. Let me remind people of your website. Here's a badass image of Pierre on a rooftop <laughs> in Chicago. <laughs> Pierre T. Lambert is my guest. You can find uh, Pierre on his website, PierreTLambert.com. I'm going to spell that for you. P-I-E-R-R-E-T. L-A-M-B-E-R-T dot com. Pierre, man, so now I guess you're making uh, enough to survive. <laughs> you're making enough money. You get to see the world with your partner, um, you know, when it's not COVID time. Um, <laughs> you get to improve people's lives and inspire people, which probably feels really good. And just knowing you and your personality as a creative and an entrepreneur, you're probably not going to keep doing the same thing over and over and over. I'm curious, like, what do you think success will be for you in the next few years as you like continue to grow and expand? It's a good question. Um, I'm not sure yet, mm. meaning I have a lot of interest and they always expand. 
and it and it's always like i have to catch myself and be like okay okay don't get too distracted right <laughs> same, now same same it's like all right this is really cool but everything <laughs> comes out of time you know but it's okay to explore i think everyone should be encouraged to explore different areas i definitely will continue doing what i'm doing right now because i feel like there's a lot of concepts or like videos or like ways of doing things that i haven't even been able to start doing mm. um meaning going beyond tutorials taking it more behind the scenes like taking mm. the whole adventure of going places with people uh like on a shoot and really like sharing that i really want to yeah i really want to not just inspire but like give people that break you know and and take them on an adventure virtually and i feel yeah. like this i haven't i've done it a little bit but i think it's it's has to go to a little bit to the next level nice that's that's gonna be such a cool new adventure for you i think that's beautiful um this is a question that i just came up with and it's unrelated to the flow of the conversation <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I'm very curious how you see your mechanical engineering background fitting into your photography interest and practice today. Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, I highly, I would highly encourage anyone to pursue scientific studies, no matter what you want to do in life, just for the oh, wow. mindset it will give you and the analytical mindset, meaning like, how do you solve a problem, you know? How do you deconstruct a problem to solve it? What are the elements you need to pay attention to? Those things really help me, I would say. And I don't, it's not like I learned that theorem and I, now I can apply it every day. No, it has nothing to do. It's literally <laughs> one of those things where you just repeat, 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 and it just formats a way of thinking or like a way of solving, approaching uh, cognitively problems versus if I hadn't gone through that training, you know? And I can see it with different people from different backgrounds who went to different studies. I can definitely see the difference. And I think it can be a, a great skill. It can also be a curse a little bit sometimes where you're too analytical uh, in the sense where you, you're always trying to dissect everything and understand. Yeah. All. You have so many nuances, you know, where for you it's normal. But if you have a conversation, you're like, well, no, that word actually means this, you know. And then you're like, well, you have to be in, in my head. I'm like, I have to be precise because if you change any hypothesis in your problem, it will change the outcome and the solution, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's kind of something that I have to catch myself. I totally relate to that. And I feel fortunate that I do have like a science degree with, from a design school and I'm able to mm. think about my creative projects in that way too. I think you're right. It, it helps you break down a problem to see how to solve it. <clears throat> so the the pandemic, hopefully, it comes to an end in a in a few months because of vaccinations and and people just taking things more seriously. At least, at least in the it's U.S. It's the end right? of the world. No, I'm joking. But um, <laughs> what I appreciated from the pandemic was that it gave us all a little bit of time to think about ourselves, make changes if we need to analyze our businesses and our just general day-to-day -day practices. And uh, I'm curious, like, what's one personal non-business thing that you're working on for yourself? Um, that's a good question. 
I'll I'll jump back into that in a sec, but uh, COVID made me travel less. And the positive side is I got to see my daughter grow up a lot more, which is great, you know, like spending time with family, forcing you to be a bit more present and be mindful about when you're here, um, which is something I had to learn because I ended up always in the same space working, you know? Mm. And when you don't have that physical separation, like, oh, I go to New York for four days. I'm going to work like every day, shoot everything. And then after I can kind of cut off for a while. But if I'm always here, I think it kind of forced me to learn to practice that, you know, being more mindful, turning off, not turning off, but like leaving your phone on the side, not not looking at it, disabling almost all notifications, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that was one. The other one was like, surprisingly for me, COVID has not been like, I didn't really have, I didn't really take much time to think, which Mm. I know a lot of friends and creatives that like, it's so great. I've analyzed my whole life. I'm like, (laughs) I I have not done anything like that. I have been go, 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 go the whole time because I launched the French version of the course. I reshot the English version of the course. That took me two months. Wow. and then I had to market it and then I had to do videos at the same time. Then I got to be on product launch. I don't know. I didn't really rest, mm. uh, which was a big problem. I think that's something I learned. Take more holidays, like mm. really take holidays. Like where you do nothing uh, that is related to what you do every day, you know, do something completely opposite and refresh your mind. So that's one. That's definitely one that's that's been big because... I'm actually dying for that like time of not doing anything and actually yeah. being able to to just <laughs> creating space for thinking. You know, I feel like I I don't do that enough. I don't create time for thinking. I don't make time for it. Yeah. Wow. Time off. Huge. Yeah. It's huge for people like us who like just want to achieve more all the time. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes we get in the way of our on achievements you know yeah well you gave me some advice a couple weeks ago that i really appreciated about um not letting stuff like the pandemic keep me from continuing to explore and learn and grow there's always a way Mm -hmm. to keep growing and um having watched a bunch of your videos i i feel like one of the one of the continuous things that i always hear is get out there and go shoot like, yeah. doesn't matter what the weather is, doesn't matter what's going on. There's always new perspectives and new things to see. Has there been any piece of advice that somebody gave you where you're like, damn, this made a huge difference in my life, like that you can share with us? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I think one that I heard through, actually it was Tim Ferriss again, but... <laughs> That advice comes in two forms. I heard it from another professional photographer also that was teaching a class. He's like, get get 90% of your shots, the classic shots, get them right, get 90% of your shots perfect so that you can explore the 10 other percent that are left creatively. So let's say you shoot a wedding, shoot 90% super safe, make sure you get all the shots and go crazy on 10%. You know, like... Try stuff you've never tried before. You know, maybe even if it fails, you 
you know you're fine because you have those 90%. And Tim Ferriss had a different advice. He's like about content and blog posts and I think then podcasts. He was like, I create probably nine episodes out of 10 that is catered to my audience. And one episode is just for me. And it doesn't matter if it does well <laughs> or not. Uh, it's It's just for me. And also his like metric for success, which I kind of integrated because it makes you feel better is don't think about pleasing hundred percent of your audience or 50%. It's make sure that you're hitting at least 10% and that a few people actually will benefit from it. Wow. So if you put it out there and you're like, Oh, that video is doing terrible or this didn't get, you're like, okay, but maybe there is like, a few of those people that actually were impacted by something there. Yeah. It doesn't have to be the whole world. It can be just like two people, you know, or just one person. And I've I've had those messages in the days, you know, with a video that wasn't doing well where people are like, wow, that, that was really had an impact or whatever. I was like, oh, well, I guess, okay, cool. <laughs> I guess that worked. That's really great advice and really good way to look at it. And that's something that I've been doing with this show as well. Um, since it's fairly new, I don't have that many numbers, but almost every episode I get, you know, a handful of emails or messages that are like super impactful. And I'm just like, yeah. this is why I'm doing this. <laughs> I'm not getting thousands of, of plays yet, but like I'm getting people yeah. who are touched by the content and it means so much to me that it means something to someone else. So that's super yeah, cool. Yeah, it's it's long-term, you know? It's a long-term game. You're not trying to, like, rip or, like, become viral overnight. Yeah. Uh, and actually, just a piece of advice, if you are trying to just know that becoming viral can bite your tail really hard, it can actually be a huge disadvantage. And I realized that over time, uh, seeing a lot of friends who had channels go viral, had content go viral, but sadly it wasn't the content they wanted to mm. go viral. And then they built an audience around things they didn't want to share or they didn't want to cre keep creating on. And you're like, oh, damn it. You know, like the algorithms now is like, people want to see that from him. Yeah. And then every time he's doing something he actually cares about, it just doesn't work. So it's more like slow growth, slow, steady, long-term brand, you know. Here, thank you so much. I really appreciate this conversation. <laughs> thank you for having me, Bauer. It's really cool. Yeah, hang it. hang tight. I'll come back in like one minute and I'll say a proper goodbye to you. And I'm going to give a little outro right now for the folks watching. Thank you, Pierre. Okay. Y'all, Pierre T. Lambert is the man. <laughs> His totally free YouTube channel is... Uh, Awesome. It has so much great content on there. Um, he also has a paid 30-day photography course that's impacted hundreds of thousands of people. Everything is at his website, pierretlambert.com. Hang out over there. Check out the wealth of information he has to offer. Um, if you like my show, Coffee with Bao, I would really appreciate if you can go share this with your homies. Also, if you can financially support this very resource-intensive show, um, you can do so at coffeewithbao.com. There's a little tip button on the bottom left corner. And I thank you so much for having Coffee with Bao. See you next time.
Hey, it's Bao. You know, sometimes I feel insecure about even calling myself an activist. I mean, all I do is make art, right? And hope that people feel something or think or address certain topics that I care about. And that's not exactly the highly visible type of activism that they write about in articles, right? Uh, but I'm realizing that that's not true, you see, because art inspires and art moves you to action. Art makes people feel like they're not alone. Um, essentially, art matters. Uh, so I serve on the board of a nonprofit called the Slants Foundation that helps empower artists of color with the resources and the support system that helps them understand that their voice matters. And there are now dozens of high-profile articles about the impact of our nonprofit, uh, which makes me feel kind of good. If you think that I'm talented, you should see some of the artists that we've been working with at the Slants Foundation. But we need your financial support to do our thing. And that means money. We need you to donate money to the Slants Foundation so that we can nurture the next generation of cooler, better, smarter bows. <laughs> so if you can't afford to, please make a tax-deductible donation to the Slants Foundation by going to theslants.org and tell them that Bao sent you. All right, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. See ya.